Well, welcome. My name is Mark. If you're new here, welcome to Redemption Parker. We're glad you're here. If you have a Bible, and we hope you do, or your phone, go ahead and work your way to the book of Acts, the story of the early church in the New Testament. We're in Acts chapter 9, the end of Acts chapter 9 today. Uh, we'll be working together. We're working through this series called The Power and the Purpose. <coughs> Excuse me. Looking at what the power of the church is and the purpose, yesterday, today, and forever. So that's where we're going to be with that. I'll go ahead and read our passage this morning and then pray for our time, and uh, we will jump in from there. So Acts chapter 9, we'll pick it up in verse 32 this morning. Acts chapter 9, verse 32, I ask you to listen carefully. This is God's Word. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, He came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose, went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside. And knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, as we turn our attention to you, God, right now I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do that which only you can do, and you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see things that you would want to work in us and through us uh, individually, collectively, and as families right now, God. We, we believe that your word was given for our information and not our trans- for our transformation, not our information, so would you bring that transformation that we need desperately in this time. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, anyone here consider themselves an artist? Let me just see. We got any artists in the room? No artists? Oh, you're all going to be in for a surprise. We got one artist? Okay. So let's just start off with a basic premise. I'm going to say, I'm going to show my cards a little bit early this morning. You're all artists. Okay. So let's just, let's just shift, begin to shift in our hearts because it sounds like you got to start to move there in there since most of you are like, no, I'm not an artist. But you're an artist and I'll show you that in a moment. But uh, any Disney fans? How about Disney people here? Disney freaks? Okay. Especially if you were like from Southern California, those people are the worst. I mean, they're just like, I'm just kidding. They, but there's some people that are really Disney fans. And uh, in 2010, we got to go, uh, me and my four daughters, my wife, got to go to Disney World and uh, go, and, and, and we enjoyed the whole thing. And we, we, were, we were jamming at it. Uh, we went to all four parks, and uh, what, what we loved as a family was this one park called uh, Hollywood Studios. Have you been to Hollywood Studios, anyone? You guys tracking with me today? This is going to be a little bit more interactive, okay? So Hollywood Studios, all right. Um, but when you're in Hollywood Studios, there's this little thing. Well, there was. They don't do it anymore. 
Apparently it wasn't popular enough, but there was this little art studio attraction you could go to, and like 30 students go in, and a master Disney artist will go, and, and he'll teach you how to draw famous Disney characters. And so he'll show you techniques to use your, your shoulder to make circles because it, it's round, and, and all these techniques. And so when, when you're going to Disney and, and you're drawing, you want to, first of all, you want to learn how to draw Mickey Mouse, right? So I, draw, I brought some of our paintings, our, our paintings, our pictures this morning. Um, and so again, this is in 2010. And so uh, the first one I have here is from Hannah. Hannah was three years old at the time. And so uh, you could just kind of imagine what a three-year-old would draw. I'm not going to have a lot of Hannah pictures in here because she pretty much did not like this activity, but um, she did draw. The first one, Hannah, we got Mickey Mouse from Hannah. I think we got, okay, so you got a three-year-old Mickey Mouse. You could see it. That's not bad, right? You got the ears the nose. You even got a little bit of a tongue there. Okay, so we're going to uh, jump up to seven-year-old Zoe. Zoe uh, was representing here. Okay, so we got a little bit more legit and some extracurricular activity on the side here. <laughs> Apparently, she, wrote, she, she did this in the year 20,010. So she came back from the future and <laughs> was representing there. So, but you can see the difference between a three-year-old and a seven-year-old. Uh, my wife was representing, I mean, she's rocking, Disney, uh, rocking Mickey here. Okay, so that, that one's legit, right? You can kind of see the guidelines that the, the artist showed us how to draw and how to do that. She, she was representing. Mine's not quite as good as that. I got a lot of guidelines on here. Let's see here. I've got uh, Mickey here. In fact, I'm just going to let you show those pictures because uh, this is getting out of hand. Um, well, actually, I know what's coming next this way. So, uh, Stitch. How about Stitch? Anyone fans of Lilo and Stitch? Uh, Jennifer was representing Stitch here. Let's see Stitch. We got Stitch in there? No, that's not Jennifer. That's, that's Hannah's Stitch. That's the next one. Okay, so Hannah's Stitch is basically a frowny old man. Okay. Um, then we got, uh, these are all out of order. What do we got next? Let's just show you what we got. Stitch. It's another stitch. Is it a good stitch? Rebecca's stitch? Let's see it. Good stitch. No, that's Jennifer's stitch. Yeah. That's a legit stitch. All right. What's the next character? Jiminy Cricket. Okay, we got, we got five-year-old Abby representing Jiminy Cricket. There you go. Jiminy Cricket and a flower on the side. Okay, so you got a five-year-old. You can kind of start to see just art takes time, and it takes some practice, and it takes mistakes, but, but that's a pretty legit five-year-old Jiminy Cricket, if, I, if you say so. Well, who we got next? We got, okay, we had Zoe, again, coming from the year 2010. Uh, that's a, I can see Jiminy Cricket there, seven years old. Um, and who's next, me? Oh, no, Je that's, again, Jennifer is just rocking on the Disney characters. I think I've got one here. Uh, this one's not bad. Like, I I'm representing November 10th, 2010. And in this class, uh, at the end of every class, the, the, the master artist will uh, sign his name and he'll give it to a student. I got the student. So let's see the master artist. Okay, so there you see, like, the trained master artist, two marks, thanks for drawing with me, Brian James Flitcher, signs his name, dates, but there you can see it. You're like, yes, and if you're going to be a Disney artist, you've got to be right on, right? Like, there's no room for artistic addition, uh, like, the, your, your, your picture is, is judged on how accurate it is, and it has to be absolutely accurate, right? All right, you can take those off, but art takes time. Art is a, is, a, is a matter of trial and error. 
And so one of the things I said, you're all artists, and you probably thought right away, well, I don't draw or I don't paint, therefore I'm not an artist. No, you're an artist. Uh, sometimes it's in the more classical realms of art. Maybe it's uh, uh, musically or uh, cooking or architecture or, or, or some of those things. But, but all of us in some way, shape, or form are artists because all of us are image bearers of God. And the way you were designed and your role in the universe was to some way, in shape, or form, reflect to the universe the glory, the majesty, the beauty of who God is. And in that sense, that's our role as human beings. No matter who you are, what time you lived in, that's who you are as a person. You're an image bearer. You're a reflection of God. And now sin has come into the world. It's twisted and marred that, but, but we're all artists, and it is, as it were, with our lives, we are, we are painting a picture with our lives. And every person in here is painting a picture. Every person in here ha- has a canvas that is their life. And every person out there and every person who's ever lived ha- has this canvas that they're holding up to the world. And ultimately on their canvas and on your canvas, you're saying to the world, this is what life is all about. This is what's most, uh, most praiseworthy, most worth my time, my energy, my effort. And there's a lot of things on a lot of different pictures out there. Someone or something is at the center of every picture. And we're saying, this is what's good. Maybe it's a sports team. Maybe it's a pile of money. Maybe it's a house. Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's a diploma from that school. Maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Some way, shape, or form, you're saying to the world, the most important thing to me in the world is this. And you're painting a picture. And you've all got a picture, and every person in the world has a picture that they're holding up to the world, and they're saying, here's what life is all about. So I want to take some time this morning just to consider what's on your picture. Maybe your picture is a selfie. Life is all about me. But you're in church, so maybe it's a selfie with Jesus photobombing in the background. Nevertheless, it's still about me. And Jesus is there. Don't worry. He's, he's in the picture. But some way, shape, or form, you've got something on your painting. Now, now, the question is, is this what you want to communicate to the world? Not what you say, but, but what, what, what are you actually painting? What, what, what are the contrasts? What are the lines? What, what, what are you putting out to the world? It's saying this is of utmost importance forever and ever. Maybe we've got a lot of things, but... But, but the opportunity for us, especially those that are followers of Christ, we, we, get to, we get to come to the one who is both the master artist and the masterpiece of all of the universe. Colossians chapter 1, we'll have it on the screen, says this uh, about Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created. He is the master artist. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The whole point of the universe is Jesus. He is the master, and he is the masterpiece. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews put it, puts it this way in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. says this, <laughs> okay. he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature 
And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Jesus Christ has come into the world, has rescued and redeemed people, has given them a new canvas, and he says, with your life, I want you to paint a picture. And in that picture, I want you to put me on display in the world. So the question is, what's what's on your picture? How are you doing? Again, art takes time. It's a process. A a three-year-old painting looks different than a seven-year-old and a 13-year-old. But but art is about trying and failing and making uh, corrections along the way and and doing doing a little bit more and changing and and making this or that. But in the end, uh, the opportunity and the invitation for you and for me this morning is to put Jesus on display. If there's anything else at the center of your painting, you will be disappointed forever. When you take your last breath, it is, as it were, you're signing the name and putting the date on the corner of your painting, and it's done. That's what you get to present to the world. That's what you get to present to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And in that moment, you want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's an accurate picture of who I am. Thank you for holding that up to the world. You're like, what in the world does this have to do with Acts chapter 9? Well, I think you need to understand that because when you come to Acts chapter 9, there's one way to come to it just at a surfacey level. In fact, uh, if, oftentimes when I'm preaching, I'll, I'll go and I'll listen to four or five other sermons just to kind of hear what other people say. But this week when I went to that, no one preaches this passage. They, they just skip over it like, now, we don't know what to do with that. It's just a healing of a paralyzed guy, and, and uh, you know, it's a, a raising someone from the dead that Peter does. You know, Jesus did a lot of that, and we could just move on. But that's the point. That there's some portraits. There's a painting being put on display. The point is that you should see in this passage, uh, Peter is get, becoming a better and better artist. He's looking more and more like Jesus. And Tabitha is putting on display a, a, a painting that says, this is what's most important in the world. And as we look at their lives, it isn't that we say, oh, we need to go find someone that's paralyzed and, and, and raise them. It isn't that we go to the funeral home and wait for the next body to come in. That's not the point of why Luke and the Holy Spirit has us here. The point is that Jesus wants to give you his spirit, work his life through you so that increasingly, over time, the reflection that we hold up to the world looks more and more like Jesus. So let's look at these paintings. Let's look at these portraits, or at least a glimpse of a portrait that was painted and see how that can apply to our own lives. Acts chapter 9, we'll jump into these two portraits here. One that's being painted by Peter and another by Tabitha, and both are accurate depictions of who Jesus is. It says, now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints at Lydda. This is now about 25 miles outside of Jerusalem. The gospel is spreading. It's getting further and further away from the epicenter. And there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. Again, we would do well to pause and just think, what would that be like? He hasn't been paralyzed his whole life, so he knows what it's like to to run and to work, to provide for his family. But for the last eight years, he's been in bed. 
I mean, how devastated would that be? What, what about depression? All these things. He's not able to provide for his family. This is almost a death sentence for him and his family, and he's desperate. And, and Peter comes in the room, and he sees it. And I m- imagine in this moment that Peter has a sense of deja vu. He's like, I've been here before. I, I've seen this kind of circumstance played out before. You, you know, you can go online, and uh, I, I've been intrigued by this, and I, I think I'm going to eventually do it. But have you seen these master classes? You, you can learn, like, uh, Steph Curry does one. So you learn dribbling, passing, and shooting from Steph Curry. That, uh, you can learn from uh, authors. You, you can f- learn from violinists, filmmakers, like the best of the best in their field. You can learn tennis from Venus Williams. You can learn all these things where they kind of just coach you through. The masters coach you through. Well, well, Peter has been enrolled in the ultimate master class. For three years, he got to walk in the, the footsteps in the dust of his rabbi, and, and Jesus would show him what, what, what a picture of God looks like in the world. And, and Peter messed up. He got a lot of lines wrong, got a lot of shadows off. He, he messed up a lot. But over time, his painting is beginning to look more and more like Jesus. And so when he walks in a room and someone's paralyzed, one, he has the Holy Spirit in him. And in in this moment, he's like, I've seen this before. Maybe he was thinking about that time we read about in Mark chapter 2. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus is in Capernaum. And in Capernaum, uh, he's teaching the crowds. He's healing people. And he's in this house. And these crowds have just piled in. It's wall-to-wall crowds. And we read in the story that there's this paralyzed guy. uh, And he's got some friends. And his friends are trying to get him to Jesus. I mean, these are amazing friends, by the way. That's a sermon in another time. But they're trying to get him to Jesus. They can't get to the crowd because they all want to be there. And so they say, we, we've got to get our friend to Jesus. We've got to get him to Jesus. And so they look up. They, they get on the roof. They wreck the roof to get their friend to Jesus. I mean, again, a sermon from another time. But what are you doing to bring your friends to Jesus? These guys are desperately trying to bring their friend to Jesus. And so as Jesus is teaching, uh, some, some stucco falls on the ground and it, a hole opens up and the crowd just gets quiet. And they're like, who is destroying the roof? And, and eventually the hole gets big enough and they lower this paralyzed guy down on a mat and they lay him before Jesus. And in Mark chapter 2, we see uh, that in verse 5, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus is like, you're getting warmer. You'll catch that later. But uh, verse 8 And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And this wasn't just one time. This happened several times. We read about it in the Gospel of John where where Jesus would come across a paralytic man. Jesus will say, rise and take your bed and go. And so now, fast forward several years, and Peter has gone down, and he sees this guy named Aeneas, and he, he goes to him, and he sees him paralyzed. He's like, I've been here before. 
This, this may sound astonishing, but, but Jesus said in John chapter 14, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, hey, uh, anyone who believes in me is going to do the works that I do and even greater things than this. And so imagine he's like, well, maybe, maybe this is the time. Maybe this is the time to act like Jesus. And so he uh, looks at him and he says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Peter's painting a picture. He's not saying, I did it. He's not taking any credit. He, he knows that 2 Corinthians 4, it, that truth that uh, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And so he looks at this guy. He says, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. I love that. <laughs> it's just something your mom would say. Like, get up and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And as he reflects Jesus, as his, as his painting is an accurate picture of who Jesus is, the mission of God extends. Verse 35, and the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they all, and they turned to the Lord. The mission advances. Well, let's look at another painting. Verse 36, now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha. And for some reason, Luke decides he wants to translate that name. Translated means Dorcas. I just imagine Tabitha reading this years later and said, hey, we don't need that. Let's, Tabby is fine. Tabitha's my name. Let's just go with that. And he's like, no, it's Dorcas. And she's like, okay. And the problem with that, and the problem with that for you and for me is we're like, man, Dorcas. That, that we stop at the word Dorcas and we miss the next few words. She was full of good works and acts of charity. On her painting, she, she's reflecting the heart of God, that God cares about the poor. God cares about what we're doing. And so she said, I, I want to paint a picture, picture, and her picture is full of good works and acts of charity. More than that, it goes on. It shows a little bit more of her picture. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they washed her, they laid her in the upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, now about 11, 12 miles further, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two of men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. <coughs> Again, I don't know what they were expecting Peter to be able to do, but they, they get Peter, and he walks the 10 miles. Verse 39, so Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, he, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping, showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. Again, do you see her reflecting the heart of God? Do you see her painting a picture? In her picture, she says, you know what? God cares about the widow and the orphan, the poor and the oppressed. And with my life, I want to show the heart of God cares about those people. And so she is literally clothed, these widows. To be a widow in the first century would be almost a death sentence. Who's going to provide for you? And as, as Peter comes in the room, they're, they're weeping and they're wailing and they're like, look at this coat she made me. Look at the clothes I have. These all came from Tabitha. Because she's painted a picture about the heart of God who cares about widows. So they're devastated because this woman has loved them so well. But they're also devastated because I'm, I'm sure there's some concern, there's fear. Now who's going to clothe us? Now who's going to feed us? Now who's going to take care of us? Who's going to fill in that gap? And so there's fear and there's, there's, there's weeping, there's gnashing. There's, and once again, Peter comes into the room and he's like, I, I've been here before. I've seen this situation 
before. And again, the Spirit of God is moving Peter, and once again, Peter begins to paint a picture that accurately displays Jesus. In Luke chapter 8, Luke, who also wrote the book of Acts, tells us this story. There's this story of a man named Jairus. His daughter is on her deathbed. And in desperation, imagine if one of your daughters was about to die, what would you do? You would do whatever it takes to get her the help she needs. And so he hears about Jesus. There is this rabbi that is healing people. Maybe he could help. And so uh, with all of his energy and all his strength, he runs to Jesus. And when he comes to Jesus, he says, please, rabbi, come. My daughter is sick. Please come. And he says, okay, I'll come. And Jesus begins to head that way. But if you remember in the story, as he's headed that way, the crowds are kind of impeding him. And they're, 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 they're very large crowds. And they're, they're not letting him go. And then there's this woman. She's been bleeding for, for years and years internally. Her life is miserable. And her last desperate act is to say, if I can just touch Jesus, if I can just touch his robe. And so she works her way through the crowd and her last act of faith, she reaches out and touches the hem of his robe. And in that moment, the power goes out from Jesus and she's healed and she knows it immediately. She's been healed. And Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? And his disciples are like, what are you talking about? Do you see everybody touched you? He's like, no, no, no. Someone touched me for healing. And, and meekly and humbly, this woman kind of comes with fear and trembling before Jesus. And in Luke chapter 8, we, we see what, what happens there. He says here in verse 48, daughter your, peace, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. But this has been a detour. This has been a delay. And the next verse tells us, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house, that's Jairus, came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. I mean, again, imagine if you're this father. Like, how torn are you? Yeah, he healed someone, but my daughter is dead. And they're like, don't, don't, even, don't even bring him. She's gone. Like, that's it. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, trust. She will be well. When he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother and child. And all were weeping and mourning. The scene is being played out. For her, but he said, Don't weep. She's not dead, but she's sleeping. Verse 53. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Verse 54. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. So fast forward again those few years, and Peter comes in the room and and there's a dead body, and he says, I, I, I've been here before. I've seen what Jesus does in this moment. And so he prays. Look what it says, Acts chapter 9. It says, uh, where was it? So Peter went without delay. Okay, verse 40. But Peter put them all outside, because he saw Jesus do that, and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, Arise. 
And she opened her eyes. We saw Peter. She sat up. Now, I'm making the contention that Luke wants you to see the parallel. Luke wants you to see that the picture paint Peter is painting looks very much like Jesus. So, in, in, in Acts, in, in Luke 8, 54, it says, But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. He would have said that in Aramaic. And in Aramaic, it would have been Talitha kum. And in Acts chapter 9, uh, Peter goes in and says, Peter put them all outside, knelt down uh, and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. It would have been in Aramaic, Tabitha, kum. He's just doing what he saw Jesus do. He's painting a picture to the world. He's like, this is what, what we do in this situation. This is how, how the heart of God reflects. And so the opportunity for you and for me is to paint a picture. And the question that we, we have to consider for each of our lives and together as a faith family is, is our picture that we're putting out to the world, is it an accurate representation of who Jesus is? Or is there something else more important to you? Because if that's the case, you'll be eternally disappointed. What's on your painting? How, how do we... How do, how do we rework our picture? Well, I think we, we reflect, we repent, and we respond. We reflect. We, we look at our picture. We say, well, what is it that, that I'm showing to the world and it, with my life and every decision I make, every thought, I, every daydream I have, every, every interaction with every person, what is it that I'm putting out to the world as most important, most glorious? And we look at our picture. We look at Jesus. We look at our picture. We look at Jesus. And again, none of our pictures are perfect. I mean, we're in process. That's part of the process. But over time, it's beginning to take shape, hopefully, and Jesus is coming to the surface more and more. We look at our picture. We look at Jesus. We look at Jesus. We look at Jesus. And where we see that there's some corrections that need to be made, we repent. We, 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 we repaint that section. Um, I've studied a lot of art this week, and one of the things I've found is that through modern science, like x-rays and other technology, they've looked at some of the masterpieces of, of world art history. And in many of these pieces, they see that they go several layers deep. And you can go all the way back to the first sketches of the masterpiece. And you can see how the artist says, no, that's not right. I'm going to redo that. That's not quite right. I'm going to redo that. And they're putting layer after layer after layer. And then we see the masterpiece. That's kind of like our lives. We look at it. We say, it's not quite right. doesn't quite look like Jesus. doesn't quite put him on display. So we come back through repentance, and we, we, we draw again. We paint again. So we reflect. We repent. We respond. We look at the master and the masterpiece, and we say, wow. Okay, so we get our palette out, and we say, Jesus, I see in your word, I see that you paint with mercy. So I'm going to put some mercy on my palette and begin painting mercy into my life. Jesus, you paint truth. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make truth central in my life. Jesus, you paint uh, care for the widow and the orphan, the poor and the oppressed. And so I'm going to use some of that and I'm going to show care for, for the oppressed and the poor and the widow. Jesus, you paint a concern for every tribe, tongue, and nation on the planet. In some way, shape, or form, on my painting, I want to show that God's heart is for all people. And you begin to paint that into your painting. And so on and so on. You see Jesus. And you begin to paint that into your life. You're all artists. You're all painting something. You might be bad artists, but the opportunity and the invitation by the Spirit of God is to become a master artist. And that's true for us as a community, right? 
So Jesus said the church is to be a city on the hill. In a world of darkness, the, the world should be able to look at Redemption Parker and say, that's what Jesus looks like. That, that's his glory and his majesty. The way they live life together, Jesus said, they, they'll know you are mine by the way you love one another. So when the world looks at us, do they see Jesus collectively in our mural or our tapestry as we come together and we present it to the world? Or put it another way. Imagine just a scenario where we find somewhere in the world, we didn't know that there's an island that's been totally isolated from everything and everybody, and we find this people group, and they, we go there, and we begin to tell them, hey, uh, actually, there's a whole world of other people out there, and they're like, really? In fact, God created that there is a God in the universe, and he created this, they're like, okay, and he created us in his image to reflect him, and they're like, okay, but, but sin has come in and marred and twisted, and, and we all deserve the justified wrath of God for our sin, and they're like, that's bad news, and they're like, yeah, it's bad news. But God is merciful, he's gracious, and he sent his son to become one of us. And he lived this life with the perfect picture of who God is, and we got to watch him. But as an ultimate act of his truth and justice and goodness and mercy and love, he went to a cross to take on the penalty for your sin and mine. And on the cross, he bore the the wrath of God against sin for you and for me. They're like, that sounds like that's good news. Like, yes, and he died and they buried him. But by the power of God on the third day, he rose again, having conquered death in the grave and blowing open the door back to the heart of God so you can live with God forever. And they're like, this is really good news. And and you're like, it gets better than that. After 40 days, he he ascended to God and, and he sits there on the right hand, but he sends his spirit to live in people, to live his life through people. And they're like, really? You mean to tell me there's people on this planet that have the spirit of God in them to do the things that you just told us about that, that are recorded in this book? Like, yeah, that's, that's the plan. Really? Where are these people? Well, you can go to Parker, Colorado. There's a place called Parker, Colorado, and you can go, and they're like, no, shut up. You mean, if we, if, can you take us to Parker, Colorado? Yeah. And and there's people there that have the spirit, that have been rescued and redeemed by Jesus and have the spirit of God in them. And with their lives, they're saying, Jesus is glorious. He is mighty. He is the ruler. He is sovereign. And with their lives, we can look at their lives and say, man, that's what life in the kingdom is all about. We can go there and go to Parker and see these people. We're like, yeah, their painting's not quite like that, but but it's getting there. Or it should be. What would they see if we got to bring them here? That tells us what we're painting. And so we get a chance to reflect, repent, and respond, and together put on display to this city and to this world Jesus, his glory, and his majesty. To that end, I'm going to ask the Spirit to do that in us. Would you join me in praying? Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for the way that even in Peter's life we see you developing him to look more and more like you. Pray that what you did in him you would do in us and that we would paint with your paints to put on display an accurate picture of who you are in our families, in our lives, in our world, in this church. Lord, we, we know we're not there yet. We know that we have a long way to go. 
But Lord, I pray that every person here that has the Spirit of God would just uh, feel your, your movement to say, man, what, what can I do today to paint a more accurate picture of who you are? Lord, in the end, that you would take our painting, you would take our mural and say, well done, good and faithful servants. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.